Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, on the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Welcome into the QB SCO show. This is episode 10 brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL, although I wouldn't suggest it. As always, here to break down the enemy opposing quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles is QB1 in my heart here on the SCO show. He is Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Mark. How you doing, brother? Mr. Kist, a pleasure to be with you as always. And I was going to start today. I was going to go down the road you went down last week. And I was going to talk about Ling Chi, the process known as perhaps linger in death or slow slice it, or even death by a thousand cuts. It has become to known sort of in the modern vernacular and the modern sort of history and how we look at this. This is an ancient Chinese form of torture where in reality, what they did was slowly cut pieces away from the body. And I'm just going to make sort of a shallow underneath cross concept reference to Drew Brees and the Saints offense. But then I remembered that my mom and dad listened to this show. And last <laughs> Friday, they were over watching my daughter and the Vlad the Impaler reference literally made them nauseous. And so I wasn't going to go down this road and talk about, you know, cutting a toe off at a time and death by a thousand cuts and peeling away layers of skin. I didn't want to really do that and make people sick. So let me just say this. We're recording this on January 9th. And did you know that on this day in history, during his travels to the New World, Christopher Columbus sailing near the Dominican Republic saw what he thought were mermaids. Mm. They were actually manatees. That's correct. There's a little yeah. knowledge for you. Yeah, my history reference today, thinking of the Nick Foles and Drew Brees matchup here, obviously Drew Brees is going to be the topic of the show, but you really think about what's going on with the Eagles right now and Nick Foles getting another opportunity to get back to the big dance. And it really reminded me of, of Pompey the Great being the elder statesman, the guy with a ton of triumphs, the established military general. And that's kind of your Drew Brees guy. And then you've got this younger upstart guy with a, with a lot of success as well in Julius Caesar uh, crossing the Rhine, let the die be cast, all of that stuff. And that kind of reminds me of Nick Foles. You know, the, the quick way in Caesar would move his armies reflects the quick passing game that the Eagles have gone to with Nick Foles. So that's kind of my, my historical comp there. But I like the fact that you didn't take the violent route, the yeah. The R-rated route yeah, there. I'm going to keep it PG-13, but I am dying to make a Brutus Wentz comp right now, and I'm not going to go <laughs> down that road. 
And that's kind of what I was thinking too. Like that's maybe how this story ends is Carson Wentz being stabbed to death in a locker room by a bunch. <laughs> wow. You know? That's dark, man. We, we ended up in a dark place anyway. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's going to happen on this that's show. That's going to happen in a couple of weeks down in Mobile too, but that's a joke for another time. Man, it, it is so close to Mobile. We get to go to the Senior Bowl, watch all these quarterbacks that are there that aren't named Brett Can Rippin. we just say this and look, I respect what you know Jim Nagy's doing. I respect how he's promoting the Senior Bowl, but the idea that this is the best crop of Senior Bowl quarterbacks in history that I'm seeing on the timeline today has mm. me itching to do a Timeline Takes episode of some podcast anywhere. Because <laughs> just a couple of years ago, we saw Dak, Brissett, and Wentz at the same Senior Bowl. Last year, we saw two first-round quarterbacks at the Senior yeah. Bowl. So this idea that like Gardner Minshew and Trace McSorley are making this the best quarterback <laughs> Senior Bowl crop in recent history, I'm not so sure about that one. Yeah, I would agree with that. You know, I recently saw this comp, and we'll get to Drew Brees in a second, but this is interesting to me because we're starting to get towards a little bit of draft season. We're getting a wider net on the audience here. But I think it was Kyle Krabs of the Draft Network that I heard on on a Twitch stream that they were doing with my co-host on the Kiss and Solak show, Benjamin Solak. And I think he comped Gardner Minshew to Case Keenum. Can you kind of see that a little bit? I can kind of see that. And what's hilarious is we just learned that Vic Fangio is going to Denver – and he's bringing Gary Kubiak back to be the offensive coordinator. And so Brandon Thorne, good friend of ours, Broncos fan, you know, he asked me and John Ledger, who I have a quick discussion about it, like quarterbacks that might sort of fit that offense in the draft because Brandon seems to intimate that he wants Case Keenum fired out of a cannon and into the sun. But that's a different <laughs> issue. And, I, I, you know, the five that I came up with were Greer, Rippon, Stick, Jarrett Stidham, and Gardner Minshew. I think they would fit that mm. sort of like boot action type of offense that Kubiak likes to run. Kubiak does love Case Keenum. I mean, these two have a history going back to Houston. So, you know, I think the Minshew Keenum comp is one that kind of makes some sense. So we've been giving you, gentle listeners, a, a little taste of the draft coverage that we'll be able to provide during the offseason. Mark covers this very closely. Again, we'll be down in Mobile watching these quarterbacks live. You know, a quarterback getting first-round buzz right now that's going to be there is Daniel Jones from Duke. I don't quite get it. Maybe I'll get it once we wrap up our trip there. We'll see. But, Mark, the reason that we're here today is to cover the opposing enemy quarterback upcoming for the Philadelphia Eagles in the divisional round matchup with the New Orleans Saints, the big rematch. And Mark, we covered Drew Brees once already. In fact, it was the QB Sco show number two. And considering that there's, it was still fairly recent of a show as we work towards week 11. So I would highly suggest that if you're listening to this, go back to that, listen to that show if you want even more analysis on our topic here. And also not only are Mark and I going to break down Brees, but later in the the show, I'm going to include a conversation with Seth Galina, who knows a ton about this Saints offense and follows it very closely. Stay tuned for that. I just did a booth cast for the Eagles game with the Bears with Seth. Definitely knows his stuff. He's a great dude. We're going to meet him down in Mobile, too, so that's going to be exciting. But, Mark, the reason this show is necessary today is because the NFL, as we know, is a roller coaster and what teams were for certain stretches and what players were for certain stretches aren't necessarily what they are right now. And when you look at Drew Brees, there is a 
clear line of demarcation from week one to week 12. Breeze, in my opinion, even with Patrick Mahomes in the conversation, nipping at his heels, was the clear MVP of the league. We're talking 76.4% completion, 29 touchdowns, only two interceptions, very Nick Foles type numbers, 8.8 yards per attempt, 127.3 quarterback rating. I don't have to say it, but those are stellar numbers. And since then, week 13 to week 17, 69% completion, three touchdowns, three interceptions, 6.4 yards per attempt, 84.7 quarterback rating. So the obvious question is, Mark, why? Why did he have the drop off from those Nick Foles type numbers? Is that what you're asking? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Well, I think there are a couple of reasons you can point to. And one is one that was actually illustrated by Seth himself. He, you know, after each week, he sits down and puts threads on Twitter, breaking down plays, and he does it very well, very intuitive insight into how plays come together. He does it sort of in four stills, one for, you know, four stills for each play, and then shows you the video. And one of the things that he highlighted that when I was getting ready to do this show, given their recent struggles, I took a look back at and, you know, my analysis sort of confirms what Seth's was, was that they're seeing some more man coverage. Mm. And Breeze has sort of struggled and made some curious decisions in the face of man coverage. And one of the plays that he sort of highlighted was sort of a stick concept to one side and another concept backside. I believe they were empty. And normally you're going to throw this away from the middle linebackers open and drop. You know, if he opens to the three receiver side, you're probably going to work backside if you're talking about throwing it underneath. Breeze doesn't do that. You know, he forces a throw and it's intercepted and it's nearly intercepted and it's again against man coverage. So one has been sort of teams using man coverage and having success with it. Now I know back when these two teams played that 41 to 7 game, there was man and there were some doubles and there were some double doubles, which we'll get to. But some of the struggles have been due to Breeze making some more curious decisions against man coverage and in man coverage situations. That's one. Another is you look at that game against the Cowboys, which is perhaps the stunner, although look, now the Cowboys are into the divisional round, so maybe it shouldn't have been. But what they were able to do was get some pressure on him with some twists and some stunts up front, force him off the spot a bit, and make him either get into third and fourth reads or throw checkdowns. And there are a lot of plays in that game against Dallas where it's you know, third and eight and he's throwing a checkdown, where it's third and 17 because of its sack and he's either forced to throw a checkdown or they have to call a running back screen because you don't have a lot of plays in the playbook, even one of Sean Payton's for third and 17. And so you put those things together and it's led to some of the struggles. And you know he had an interception against the Panthers, for example, where they had a cover two look and they had a bender route, one of the things they love to throw from right to left. It was open, pass was slightly underthrown and Arnold the tight end um, doesn't make a win at the catch point it's tipped and then intercepted so I mean there have been some fluke plays like that here and there but I think the main two things are man coverage being effective and pressure on Breeze forcing him off the spot and forcing him into checkdowns or sacks and things like that yeah and you talk about that and something that I noticed in the Dallas game specifically and I charted this last night 40% of the time from Breeze he, he had to move off that initial drop and what I was charting was the natural drop whether it be one step three step five steps you know rollouts trying to time that up and whatnot but 40 percent of the time after the natural drop concluded and after the first hitch it really threw him off that the cowboys forced him to move off that spot 40 percent of the time now breeze has great footwork in the pocket and is able to reset his feet and his body quickly to get to the next throw but it feels like he just wasn't comfortable in that game and if you're using that as a guideline i mean of course it's a credit to 
Dallas in coverage and Chris Richard in his games. But there is a reason, you know, Chris Richard has gotten so much interest as a head coach lately. But is that what it takes to beat Breeze? Is that like the cure all? Not just pressure, like not just coverage, but getting him off the initial read and making him move off of the spot, move off of that line. Is that the way of slowing the Saints offense down? I think that's primarily that should be like the first focus of any sort of defense or defensive coordinator is to sort of, you know, move him off the spot. Because when you talk about sort of those set, reset, and throw moments for a quarterback, there are two factors that go into it. There's the footwork park, footwork part of it. And for example, you guys just saw Mitchell Trubisky last week. And one of the things that he desperately needs to fix is his footwork, not just generally throwing the pocket, but also in those sort of set, reset, and throw moments. When he's forced right. to move off the spot, his feet, he's one of those mobile athletic quarterbacks that once those feet get moving, sometimes it's hard for him to get him to stop so he can make a throw from a solid base underneath him. And so, you know, there's that aspect to it, which as you alluded to, and as you pointed out, Mike, Breeze is very good at. But there's also sort of the mental part of it because when you're forced to move, set, reset, and throw, you're changing your view, you're changing your vision cone, you're changing all of that stuff, you're changing your thought process as well. And that is where I think we're seeing some of the bit of a drop off with Breeze. He's one of the faster quarterbacks in terms of processing speed. He's like a computer out there, particularly when able to make throws from a clean pocket. But when you sort of force him to get into those moments, you're changing the vision that he has, you're changing the mental process, and then it allows you to either close, click and close and drive on routes if you're a defensive back or to get close that separation window that a receiver might have. And so that's also been part of it. So moving him off his spot is key for a couple of different reasons. And, you know, I think we've highlighted those so far. And one thing about this offense that has changed, speaking of what's different from the last time that they faced off, so we can kind of differentiate this episode from uh, episode two of the QB Sco show where we previewed Breeze against the Eagles. But one thing that has changed is that they have gotten Ted Giddon Jr. back and he is taking some snaps there away from Traquan Smith. And in the first three games of the season, Ted Ginn Jr. had two touchdowns and was kind of balling out. He comes back in week 16, the rest of them in week 17. In week 16 against the Pittsburgh Steelers, had eight targets, five receptions, 74 yards. I mean, this is their deep threat kind of guy. This is their speed guy, but he also does stuff in the underneath and intermediate areas for them as well. Did you see anything in the week 16 game that might tip us off as to what would change for this offense with Ted Ginn in there now? I'm not sure like what exactly would change except for one thing. And this is not, you know, a minor point. It's the confidence in the quarterback's mind and the guys that he's going to be thrown to. You mm-hmm. know, because when you're talking about throwing to guys like Kirk Wood and to you know a certain extent Traquan Smith, you know. Breeze can see those guys get open and stuff like that, but he doesn't have sort of the level of familiarity that he has with a Ted Ginn. And when you're a quarterback that's had, you know, the level of experience that Drew Breeze has, when you have that familiarity with a target, you know where he's going to be. And, you know, in a couple of plays from this sort of stretch without uh, Ted Ginn on the field, you saw him and Kirkwood, for example, not be on the same page. There was a play, I believe, early in that game against the Eagles where they sort of had a vertical route. Um, a seam post from Kirkwood on a cover one look and he sort of seems to be on a different page than Breeze. He bends it to the inside. Breeze keeps the throw more vertical probably because it was a middle of the field close type of look and he made the wrong read. But when you get Ted Ginn back on the field, quarterback and receiver are going to be on the same page. So whether he's running shallows, verticals, whatever, that familiarity is going to be a huge, huge boost to this offense and to Drew Brees and his comfort in the pocket because they won't change the plays, but the execution will be better, particularly on those route designs where the wide receiver has to make a read and be on the same page as his quarterback. 
So before we kick it over to this conversation to break this down even more with with Seth Galina, there's one question that I want to ask you about this drop off from Breeze. It's, an, it's a question. It's a talking point that has been brought up since around. I looked around the timeline. I found talk about it from around 2013. Is this an issue of Drew Brees being cooked? Is that the reason for the drop-off? Please say no, because I don't think that's no, accurate. No, okay. it's not. I mean, <laughs> you could make the case, and people have been making a similar case with Tom Brady, that yeah. you know, over the past couple of years, Brady has seen more man coverage because maybe there's a decline in you know velocity or arm strength, or right. maybe he's you know in that sort of falling off the cliff type thing. And when you sort of point out that, oh, he's struggled recently against man coverage, the natural follow-up to that is, oh, is it because he's in that decline? Hmm. I don't think it's the same kind of situation for either of these quarterbacks that they're in sort of a decline or a drop-off or they're cooked or anything like that. I think it's just, look, you get into these games into November, December, into the playoffs, you're going up against teams that sometimes are pretty good too. You know, and you get better execution from them. Dallas had a very good game plan, which they executed against them. Carolina, even though they played more zone coverage, they did some pretty good stuff in the secondary as well. So I don't think it's a matter of them being cooked at all. It's just you're into the point where you might be playing some better teams. You've got 10, 11, 12, 13 games of tape for these defensive coordinators and mm. advanced scouts to study. And you start to identify the tendencies and you know what to cover and what to call in response. And so I think it's more of that than anything else. Excellent. Mark, okay, so let's kick it over to this conversation with Seth Galina. We're going to be breaking down more of the Drew Brees versus Nick Foles matchup. Let's go to that right now. Seth, I'm glad you were able to join us today on the QB Sco Show. How you doing, brother? I'm pretty good, you? I am doing very well. So guys, follow Seth at Seth Galina. That's G-A-L-I-N-A. Seth, right to it. Big question. It's one that I posed to my co-host on the Kisten Solak show with Benjamin Solak. I've also posed it to Mark Schofield. I've taken a crack at it myself. Seth, since week 13, what is different about this New Orleans Saints offense? Why have they struggled to sustain the magic that they had going previous to that? Well, I think, first of all, it's tough. And no matter what a defense is giving you, and no matter what uh, you have in the injury front to sustain what they were doing, um, yeah. Let's say between weeks uh, three and 13 or whatever it was. Um, with that said, I think the lack of secondary receiving options from the, from the wide receiver group, obviously there are secondary receivers, Alvin Kamara, but from the, you know, on the line wide receivers, there was no one getting open. They tried a whole bunch of guys. They kind of like Keith Kirkwood. Check on Smith didn't really work out. Um, you know, they had Dan Arnold look good for a week, but then he hasn't shown up since. And I think he's been scratched a few times. Austin Carr has been scratched a few times, so that hasn't really worked out. That's been a huge problem. Getting Ted Jinn back against Pittsburgh, I mean, you saw the difference right away. And they got him open down the field once, though, unfortunately, Taysom Hill was playing quarterback on that play, so he couldn't get him the ball. I think Breeze would have been able to. He just opens up so much because you see when he's lined up on the outside, all of a sudden, those corners are off at eight yards and getting depth. Yeah. The Saints were able to hit him, bang, a little eight-yard out, a 12-yard out, no problems. Because he just he, he commands so much, you know, kind of uh, uh, resources on the back end of the defense. And then if you double cover Michael Thomas, if you double cover Alvin Kamara, he's a guy that will win one-on-one all the time. Yeah, and what I noticed was, and I, and I mentioned this to Ben, the three-man route combination, stretching the field with Ginn, opening things up in the intermediate areas, and in the Steelers game, they really wanted to take that shot to Ginn. They were sending him a lot. So what I do with my flood concept is I run the go by the outside guy, and this is a normal thing that most teams do. 
they're going to go by the outside guy. The inside slot receiver has the uh, intermediate out route, and the third receiver has a flat route. That's kind of mm-hmm. your classic flood. But what they did, and I've seen you know area teams do this too, is they run the number two receiver on the flat portion of the concept, and the number three receiver, in this case Michael Thomas, was the intermediate outrunner from the number three spot. And so that forces the flat defender, because he's usually on the number two receiver already, he sees that flat route right away. He jumps on it quicker. So then you can get the intermediate out. And if you put Michael Thomas there, you have such a great receiver that's going to get separation and, and then win when the ball's in the air. Um, yeah. It's a good way to get um, kind of gin and uh, Michael Thomas together on the same side and, and work a concept. You keep saying gin. Is it gin? Is it? Is it? Is it? I I am an alcoholic, so anytime that I'm going to keep saying gin too. I love it. I love it. Stick with it. Yeah. A side question for you. Talking about trips, how often would you would you say that the number one receiver, the most outside receiver, gets targeted from trips? Because my theory is it's like really low. That's your runoff receiver. Yeah. We used to have a um, a joke at one of the schools I coached where. You know, that was our Z receiver. Um, he was like our field side number one receiver was our Z receiver. And it was called the legend of the Z receiver. Because <laughs> they would go through seasons before I got there. They would go through seasons where he would have like four catches the whole year. So like that's that's yeah. That's what you're getting. And remember, this is the Canadian field. So he's like <laughs> way out in there. Manitoba, you know what <laughs> I mean? Like in the middle of nowhere on that field. So that's amazing. So getting back to the Saints, uh, the Saints are going to move Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara around, whether it be using Kamara in the slot or stack with Thomas. They do different things with the formations and their personnel groupings. But when they're combined together close to each other, whether it be on the backside of a three by one or in a trips where they're stacked or whatever, can you expand on what they like to do with those two and why? Their, their main thing when they put Kamara and Thomas on the same side is to run the slot, slot option route. The slot, yeah. So what they do, and la- they've kind of changed what they did uh, last year. Um, last year, they put Kamara in the slot and had Michael Thomas run the kind of deeper portion of the concept. And then Kamara runs the option route. And so normally on slot option, you're getting a wide split. You know, the two receivers are kind of in a wide, uh, kind of normal split for two receivers. The outside receiver runs the corner off. Inside receiver has the slot option. So if he runs an out as part of the option, then you're hoping that the outside receiver has moved the corner enough that you can hit him on the out. Hmm. And if the corner traps it, then you throw over his head in the hole. And uh, Breeze has done that a couple times. What they like to do is bring them into a stack and have – whoever the deeper runner is, run a little, like, let's say a 12-yard out route. So it ends up being the same concept. You have a, a deep player and a short player on the option route. So that was last year. What they've done this year is kind of flipped it, and they want to put Michael Thomas in the slot. Mm. I mean, he's caught so many balls on that slot option route. They get Kamara to run the corner off. He hasn't caught a lot of balls, but if we're talking about the Eagles, one of the ones he did catch was uh, on Malcolm Jenkins that run up the score touchdown. Mm-hmm. In the fourth quarter was, if I'm not mistaken on that on that concept, when he just ran down the field, Malcolm Jenkins couldn't keep up with him, and, and uh, they put him over his head for a touchdown. And they had him doubled on that, which was so frustrating. Yeah. This is a uh, – I'm sure you've talked about this on your other podcasts and on, 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 your, on your Twitter. 
But this was the the kind of game plan from hell from Jim Schwartz that really just didn't work. I mean, that was all, you know, I mean, I know they had some uh, noob cornerbacks and defensive backs on the field who have gotten a lot better since then. So he didn't trust them at all. But it was just uh, what a horrid game plan from Schwartz. Do you have any tip-offs of the Saints, like formationally, maybe their personnel tendencies that the Eagles might discover when going through the tape? For instance, you know, shotgun empty or when they go heavy and condense condense their wide receiver alignments, anything like that? Well, I'm a big fan of what they do when they go empty. The problem is, Brees being such a good quarterback, um, it's hard to, like, you know what they're going to do. You know exactly what they're going to do when they go empty. They're going to go backside slot option, front side stick concept. Mm. But the problem is Breeze is so good at, you know, when you have these two concepts paired with each other, front side stick, backside slot option, what the quarterback is going to do is read the open of the Mike linebacker. So wherever he goes, the quarterback wants to work the opposite side because the Mike will will add numbers to right. one side. So you want to go away from that. And they've been running this for years. Teams know they're going to do it when they go empty, but it's tough to stop because, first of all, when Breeze works the stick side, usually he's pinpoint with his reads, reading the flat defender, throwing the stick route away from the flat defender. And then when he goes back to the slot option side, he's so good at getting the ball out. The problem with slot option is that it's always going to take a split second longer for the quarterback to figure out where his receiver is going, whether it's inside or outside or even just curling up but breeze is so good he, he, he's kind of condensed that that mental processing down so much that he gets the ball off so quick no matter where the receiver ends up going right so it's really t- it's just really tough to stop Taysom hill useless snaps that are wrongfully eating into the snaps of a hall of fame quarterback or a tendency breaker that makes life miserable for defensive coordinators or a little of column a and a little of column b Probably a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, but nobody wants to hear that on the radio. So are we on the radio? Who knows? Uh, so I'm going to say A, uselessly eating into the snaps of a Hall of Fame quarterback. And my theory has always been the same. If the quarterback is your best player on the field, don't take the ball out of his hand. Yeah. I get it. I, I just think Sean Payton is, is just finally having some fun because mm. he's been doing the same thing. You know, obviously the, the past concepts have changed, the protections have changed and stuff like that. But, you know, it's a drop. He gets fun creating drop back passes, but he's like, oh man, I have this wildcat quarterback I can do stuff with. But it, honestly, I, I he's, it's been uh, in short yardage. I don't have a problem with it. Right. But anything else, it's, it's, I think it's a waste of time. Yeah. I like the read option stuff. And then they threw in the pop pass in there against Cincinnati. The one I found really interesting was the screen pass they threw to Taysom Hill against the Giants. That was hilarious. So they do a lot of tendency breaking stuff that that's fun. Seth, last question for you. Actually, well, I got one more question after this, but this is the last Saints Eagles related question. Do you have a prediction for the game yet? Have you grinded the film into a fine powder and do you have a beat on where this thing is going? I saw a vision. <laughs> like an oracle? In my dreams. <laughs> it's a little controversial. 85 to nothing for New Orleans. Um, never wow. been done before in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, never been done. And you can hold me to this. <laughs> never been done before in the playoffs. I don't think it's ever been done in the regular season. 
Uh, most points scored in a football game is happening this weekend <laughs> by the home team, the New Orleans Saints. <laughs> I, th- I don't think it'll be the blowout that it was in, what was it, week 13 or whatever it was? Week 11, yeah. Week 11. Just because Schwartz won't do the thing where he double-teamed Thomas, <laughs> double-teamed Kamara, and left everyone else basically cover zero. Yeah. It can't happen. He, he can't do it because um, Theodore Jin is in the game. Like, he can't because <laughs> that guy will just beat you if you play cover zero. Again. So, yeah. So, so I think that it won't be that much of a blowout. Obviously, I... I I, I will never bet against the Saints, so I'll say Saints 35, uh, Eagles 21. Okay. Not going to be popular with the listeners here, but we do like to get <laughs> I know. a diversified portfolio of opinions on this game. Uh, Seth, last question for you. I noticed on your timeline that you were breaking down some Lamar Jackson film, the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens, the rookie. What, what, do you, what kind of sense are you getting from his game as you go through his film? The, the accuracy, and I wrote this on Twitter, the accuracy is a real big problem. It pops up everywhere, whether it's quick game, down the field game. You know, I thought Morningweg at times schemed some people open down the field and then Lamar just missed them. You know, quick game, there's going to be people open. You know, one defender reads and he's still missing. There was a tip ball for an interception. There was a miss uh, on the sideline on, on third down to the tight end Andrews. Uh, my biggest problem, though, when I watched the film in the playoff game against the Chargers is the Chargers – had this great defensive plan to put a bunch of speed on the field at linebacker. But they did change their coverages. You know, this is a Gus Bradley defense, so they're going to play cover three. Right. And they're going to have their cover three trips check, which hasn't changed throughout the season. They did nothing to attack and conflict those defenders. It's like they they didn't know they were going to get this coverage, and it was really baffling. Because it. I don't think Lamar is this amazing passer, but if you give him some – uh, places to go with the football. I mean, he's bound to hit a couple, and that just wasn't the case. So I was really just upset about that. Yeah, Seth, thank you for coming on, Michael. <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank you for coming on today. Re- remind the gentle listeners where they can find you and your work. And uh, are, are you doing the the boothcast thing this weekend for the Saints Eagles game? Yeah. So I'm not going to do the Saints Eagles game because I don't think your listeners or the boothcast listeners want to hear me yell uh, loudly for <laughs> three hours. <laughs> Um, but I'm planning on doing the Chargers Patriots game oh. earlier in the day. Oh, very nice. So we'll do that. And then, uh, yeah, your, your um, gentle listeners can find me at Seth Galina, S E T H G A L I N A. And uh, I do a lot of writing for And the Valley Shook. That's an LSU SB Nation blog, um, the SB Nation uh, main website, and USA Football. So thanks. And we are back. Mark, that is going to do it for the QB Sco Show, episode 10. Did you have a good time? We always have a good time. I, I, we always have a good time. I mean, you know, we, we like to live it up as we always do, both on the timeline, on the pods, and of course, down in Mobile. Mark, who are you picking in this game real quick before we go? <laughs> as I said last week, I, it's a, to the point now where I can't bet against Foles at this point. I just can't. I mean... You know, and what was amazing was somebody tweeted out a picture of a Sports Illustrated cover from back in 2013. You know, Ooh. and it sort of had a cover photo of him in the snow in making the snow, a throw yeah. against the Detroit Lions. And that cover was basically, you know, it had a couple of sub headlines like it was going to be a long, cold winter in Philly. But now he sort of breathed new life into this team. And here we go. Like history <laughs> repeating itself for like the third time. It looks like it's going to be a long, cold winter in Philly. He comes back yet. And now here you are in the division round with a chance to get back to the NFC Championship game. 
So we have a ton of content here on Bleeding Green Nation as this week goes. We had a conversation with Evan Silva on the Kissed and Solak show. Make sure you listen to that. Obviously, the QB Sco Show episode two, we plugged that a few times. Make sure you go back to listen to that one as well. The normal rack of preview shows, a special Bleeding Green Memories segment with John Stolness. That show will be dropping as well. So tons of content here on Bleeding Green Nation. Make sure you keep it locked here. This has been the QB Sco Show. Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for TheAthletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team, the Flyers.